This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah! Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone. Today on the program, I'm joined by an eight-time All-Star, Cy Young Award winner, and World Series champion, He's currently an Emmy Award-winning broadcaster for Fox. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Hall of Famer John Smoltz. Smoltz, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Very cool. Um, what's harder, winning a Cy Young or an Emmy? Oh, man. Uh, winning a Cy Young. <laughs> uh, it's a lot, it takes a lot longer to happen. Uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's funny when you mention something like that. I just go back to all the years of being predicted to win and and just feeling like a failure from all these so-called experts that I told Peter Gammons, I said, you just got to stop predicting me, you know, picking me to win the Cy Young and I'm making you look bad. But in 96, it all came into uh, it all came into a perfect way of staying healthy and having the bullpen be perfect. You need a lot of help to win a Cy Young. But um, fortunately, I was able to at least get that off my my back because that was starting to bother me when I was very sensitive to what people thought, probably too sensitive as a baseball player. And then uh, got freed up after that in 1996. When you went to the booth, I, I think about your career, you finished, you played 22 years, uh, Hall of Fame career. You went to the booth right away. You started in Atlanta with some great guys, by the way, Joe Simpson and uh, the list goes and Don Sutton. Um, you started there. Was that always your plan? I mean, I think, I think of, of Aaron, 
you know, growing up with Aaron, my right. little brother, uh, he was in the backyard, Smolty, announcing our wiffle ball games. <laughs> I mean, so I always knew, you know, he was, we grew up in Philly and it was Harry Callis. Yeah. So that didn't surprise me one bit. When, when Aaron retired, he went straight into the booth. You went into the booth. Was this something that, that just happened to kind of keep you busy? I know you're one of the most competitive teammates I've ever, I've ever had. Was it something like, all right, I want to try something else in my life. Was it something to keep you busy or, or did, did it evolve? No, it was pretty, pretty weird how it happened. So I, I have sh shoulder surgery in 2008 and I know for Atlanta and the organization, they probably were hoping that would be it. And I would retire, you know, brave. I wanted to come back. And I, I remember going under just before going under major shoulder surgery. And I told the doctor, don't lie to me when I wake up, tell me what my percentage of coming back is. And my shoulder labrum was shredded and he gave me a 15% chance of coming back. So I was like, great, like dumb and dumber. I mean, it's my favorite movie. I'm like, so you say I got a chance. And uh, I pursued that. I came back at a record point, uh, played obviously for Boston, not very well. And I ended in St. Louis, which was great. And my, my goal was to pitch again for the Cardinals. Now, TBS offered me during that year an opportunity to do a playoff game between the Brewers and um, the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. And so I jumped at it. I was like, listen, you know, I did it with Brian Anderson and Joe Simpson. I said, I plan on coming back next year. They said, well, there's a spot open for you if you decide you don't want to. I said, well, I'm planning on playing. I love the experience, but no, I had no aspirations of being a broadcaster. But when I got into the playoffs, being that was my first game doing it, the playoffs was where I lived and loved and played forever with the Braves. So when I when I worked out that next offseason and, and St. Louis didn't end up re-signing me, they went in another direction. I jumped at the opportunity with TBS. I figured that, okay, I'm only going to play for one team. I could have played another two, three years as a reliever. That's what I was going to do. But that wasn't I, – I, that desire left me pretty quick. And I went in the booth, and I said to my agent, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it at the highest level. So the only highest level I knew of was eventually I want to be calling the World Series. So I put in my time. I did about nine, ten years uh, between TBS and MLB Network, and then the opportunity came for Fox – I think this is my eighth year now, um, hard to believe, but uh, I approach it the same way I approach anything in life. I'm not afraid to laugh. Uh, I'm not afraid to learn, and I want to be the best that I can be, and in the broadcast booth, uh, that's uh, that's been my motto. No, and I love it, and and to this day, I love, I love listening to you because – you know, we just and I mentioned this to you on a text. Uh, we just had Glav on. You know, I've had Doggy on, uh, Greg Maddox. And those Braves, and we'll get to that, you know, the 90s. I'm sure you've never talked about that before. <laughs> but but I loved it because as I learned, as I went through my career and, and the later stages of my career, when I went back to Seattle, I really learned a lot about myself as an offensive player. And, and I had teammates that really got me to that next level. But it was that high-level thinking. Uh, from an offensive player that half my career, I, I didn't do that. I was kind of hair on fire and I just need to get a hit. And and when I settled it all down and really started thinking through the bat, uh, it made such a difference for me in the second half of my career. Atlanta, always known for that high level uh, intellect, the way you guys pitched, uh, you just did it a little bit differently than everybody else. If, if the hitter, We'll swing at a ball. Why would I throw him a strike? Right. And the little things, you know, talking to Glav this last week, it, it was really interesting. 
the way he reads body language. And everybody doesn't do that. Your average right. third or fourth pitcher out there, he's not watching how you took a pitch to know you're looking at a, at a different pitch. I love that. For you, when you first got in the booth, what was the biggest challenge for you? Uh, was it being critical of other players? What, what was the biggest hurdle for you early on in your in your broadcasting career? Yeah, the biggest, you know, that was the question they asked me. He said, how are you going to be able to crit criticize your contemporary players? And I said, listen, I'm not going to criticize them like maybe other sports announcers do it. I realize how hard this game is. Now, if you do something wrong three times in a row, well, then I'm going to have to say that that has to change. And it won't be, a, oh, my gosh, how can how can anybody do that type thing? This game's hard. And so what I learned in the booth was the game's slower in the booth. And all my experiences gave me an advantage of knowing what was going on. And all I tried to do, and all I try to do today, I've had to work harder in this role than I've ever had to because the game has really changed. So when I retired, the game was kind of still being played the same way. And then somewhere about eight years after I retired, the game took a shift and it went into a different direction of how the game is actually played philosophically. So I had to learn those things. I still kind of get out in front and try to predict what's going to happen. I don't have to be right, but I'm trying to give the viewer uh, at home who may never know anything about baseball or is an expert kind of the same ability to learn something so that I don't talk down to somebody or then don't dumb it down to make it so easy. So I don't, I don't have any goals other than when I get in the booth, I'm analyzing the game and the two teams as if I was pitching against both teams. It's that simple. And you're right. Look, the game is not reactionary anymore, and it's not feel. It's not played by too much feel. It's played by data, and great athleticism and great you know bodies that we've never seen before collectively. And so, not so much a chess match between the pitcher and the catcher and the hitter. But here's my simple philosophy that I always live by: when you're standing on the mound and you're in the plate, someone has an advantage. Now, the key is never convey to the other person who has that advantage, and you know, right? As a hitter this guy's got me or I've got him. Without and so the goal is to never really convey that. Young pitchers kind of go by the seat of their pants and they're being told informationally how to pitch the game to a hitter's weakness. They may not pitch with their strengths because there's so much information on the weakness. That's my big kind of like rubber meets the road moment when I say, if your strength is not X, why are you pitching to the guy's weakness when it's not your strength? So there's still this battle right now of information and data that we're trying to flush out and the new rule changes are going to help flush that out so that it doesn't process so slow. So by me getting in the boat booth, now I do, I've got it from seven hours on game day down to about four hours of work. And I'm trying to read and react based on what I see in the game. I go in with a game plan and I try to keep it pretty simple. My best, the best time I have and the most fun I have is when it gets to October. Because now I've got an accumulated, um, resources of a whole year i've got the matchups and the battles and when we get to the postseason that's where i enjoy uh really doing what i do an individual saturday game which is a you know, i'm doing a national game it's it's great but you can't make one game like a seventh game like you can't make it a playoff game it's just one game of 162 when you get to the postseason that's when that's when i, I that's when i have the most fun and and really uh, i and in essence, that's what I get paid for is the postseason so that I can bring the to the living room or whoever they're watching moments that they would go, ah, I didn't know that. Oh, well, that's why he's doing that. And luckily for me, the last eight World Series have all been kind of dominated by pitching. 
and they've been dominated by some pretty good veteran pitching, and that has allowed me to kind of think along with them. I've had a pitcher come to me after a game, and he said, am I tipping my pitches? I'm like, no, why? He goes, well, you called eight pitches in a row. I said, that's because you know what to do. Like, that's what right. those – and so it makes it makes that game in the booth um, much more enjoyable for me. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Everybody knows that's that's followed baseball or, or is a Braves fan, John Smoltz fan. Golf's your biggest passion off the field. Um, scenario for you. Yep. PGA Tour, Jim Nance gets sick. Smolchy, could you fill in for him? Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely. <laughs> I know I know enough about golf to be dangerous. I know enough about the two sports that I'm playing that, that they have a lot of the similarities between, you know, what I never liked about certain announcers in golf is when they would say, and they played the sport, and they would say, like, I can't believe Brett Boone just hit that shot under those circumstances. Well, I mean, we're humans. We're not robots. And the moment of, of golf is similar to when you're standing on the mound or at the plate. What people don't understand about athletes is that they all still, uh, for the most part, feel it. And you, until you get through that comfort zone, until you get through the peak of what you're trying to accomplish, there are moments of, of nervousness that cause you to do things you would never do under any circumstances in life. And that can be, you know, hitting a wedge shot in the water when you would never do it or swinging a miss at a pitch that, you know, you just got too aggressive. When the moment gets too fast, the athlete's in trouble. I don't care what sport it is. Without when a doubt. The moment, and when the moment slows down and the heartbeat's slow and everything seems like it's going in slow motion, those are the ones that are going to rise to the occasion. So to answer your question, I would love that opportunity. Not that I'm wishing anything of, a, of Mr. Jim Nance. <laughs> it, it would just be such a thrill to know enough about the game, know how humbling. See, I'm big on – first of all, I'm not big on social media. I don't have any of it, so I don't pay attention to that. But I'm big on trying to explain to the people at home who think I can shoot that or I could hit 240 in the big leagues or I could do that. No, you can't. You just can't. And as a as a pretty good amateur golfer, there's nothing that I could, could bring back to say, I can't shoot that number. I couldn't under those circumstances. These are the best of the best. So I know when we're watching a game show or people are watching sports, the answers come to you quicker because you're not under the gun. You're not at – you know, the family feud sitting on the counter with five seconds to make the decision. But people somehow feel like sitting on the couch, they could do X. And a good announcer will explain without saying it, saying, no, you can't. And this is why. Right. Without without offending the audience. Just Correct. Like, let, let me just let 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 I'm going to make you believe this and you're not going to be offended while you believe what I'm going to tell Correct. you. Uh, Correct. Smolter, you've been you've been playing golf a lot of tournament play under your belt i've got a little bit i'm the same hack i was 20 years ago you know i fluctuate between a a four and a half and a six and a half um never practice but love the game um and and you and you're right uh when the heart when the heart speeds up and and it's isn't it funny I, and i'm sure you've heard this a million times uh fans will tell you well you play you 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 hit home runs in front of 50,000 people. 
So it's not a big deal if you've got a hundred people watching you tee off in the first tee. And I said, Oh, it's a different ballgame. I said, I'm not a pro, you know, this is not what I do for a living in our, in our occupations. We learn to, to deal with those situations on the baseball field and the more experience we get, it becomes easier. You talk about the heartbeat. I love that because for the longest time as a player, when I first got to the big leagues in the early nineties, man, it was that bases loaded situation. And at the least, I've got to hit a sack fly here, but man, is it a big situation? And mm-hmm. as a young player, I'd get revved up guys like John Smoltz. You love that situation, man. He's excited right there. He's going to yeah. be extra aggressive here. As I got older, as a player, I learned to reverse that on the pitcher and say, the bases are loaded. He's in, be on, yeah. he's in big trouble. He's got to come to me. He's sweating, not me. Right. I don't have to do anything. Let, but but that comes with trial and error. That comes with experience. And I love when you talk about the heartbeat because it is. And when you're young, usually you're just, oh, I got to do good. I got to do good. I, once you get a little bit under your belt and, and you get some experience, you get your butt kicked enough, you learn these little things. And it makes the game. It's never easy. Hitting was never easy for me. My best years. Hitting still the the toughest thing I ever did on a daily basis, but uh, I, I think that's a really good scenario that's not talked about enough is the heartbeat. You can slow that heartbeat down. You get into the final final round of a tournament, even if you know it's not a PGA tournament, yeah. it's the Tahoe tournament for you. It's a little different standing over that wedge and not blading, it not blading it, and and that's something that these pros they've lived and died with for years, and that's why the best of the best are where they are. Yeah, it's. Um... We have so much analytical information that's great for the players. We have technology beyond belief, but we have never been able to measure the heartbeat or the guys that you want to give the ball to or you want at the plate. And that's the next level for organizations. If they understood what players thought, it would put you would be able to put them in better positions. Look, I always I pitch with two of the greatest, and hands down, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. And I was always I this is my this is my description of what it was like. People asked me, said they took turns driving the car, and I was in the back seat, and I was fine with that. But where my time came was in the postseason because the ability to mix and match with stuff, I always wanted it. I dreamed of pitching the big games as a kid. I played it in my mind forever, and I always wanted to be in that spot. Now, wanting to do something doesn't guarantee success, but being able to slow it down and utilizing your skill set, that's where it comes to be your advantage. And my advantage was I could miss bats more in the postseason. And so – those moments translated into a lot of big games that I got to pitch. People ask me all the time about game sevens. I pitched in three of them. My scenario was like this. If it was a dull roar on the road, I was doing my job. Because a dull roar is, is a packed stadium rooting for their team, meaning the dull roar means they're not rallying. There's not men on. There's not, you're not in trouble. Loud, chaotic noise means you're in trouble. And that means you're always getting in and out of trouble on the mound. And I never heard it. I was. I felt like there was a tunnel between me and the catcher and the and the hitter, and I just always felt comfortable. Now, flip that to a U.S. Open. My first U.S. Open, I played in as a Champions Tour. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't spit. I was like, this is the most unbelievable feeling, and I didn't like it because I never had it in baseball. And so it made me realize, oh shoot, this really goes on. People have these uh uh-oh moments at the plate or on the mound or whatever sport they're doing. And it took me a while. It took me 13 holes to even feel normal because, yes, there's only like 
a thousand people watching you play golf on the golf course, but it's not my office. My office was on my mount in the right. mound. And I learned to translate the heartbeat at least once I had 10 tournaments under my belt. I like that first tee shot. What it is about sports and what it is about this is we know that people are pay attention. We're result oriented. And if you can eliminate the results and execute your craft, you're better off. But when you're results oriented and you know people are looking at you like, hey, I thought that guy could play. Why did he just snap hook that driver off the first tee? And we, we, our brain gets away from our mechanical gift. And first, this is how I'd sum it up. I was so in tune to my mechanics on the mound, I never had to fret that. So all I had to do was be mentally tough than the guy at the plate. When I step on a tee, I know I'm not mechanically sound. I'm self-taught, and I know there's too many wiggle rooms for me to be exposed. My brain knows that, so it translates into my heartbeat. <laughs> and when my heartbeat is going way it's going, I'm hoping I hit a good shot rather than knowing I'm going to hit a good shot. And so I love the adrenaline rush, and I love the anxiety, but I never really had that on the mound, thankfully. And that's why when you talk about pro golfers, they're in their office. There's no, there's some shots that make them feel uncomfortable, but they've been there, done that. They've been practicing for hours. We grew up in a sport that basically played since we were six, seven years old, and it became commonplace. So the idea of the heartbeat applies to everybody, but when you get outside of your comfort zone, you really expose that. And that's, and that's the challenge. And the challenge you're seeking currently with golf is, wow, I, this isn't my office, but I, I want to push myself as far as I can. And, and, and before we, we get off this podcast, I want to address, you know, your future and, and what you want to do in golf. 2400 sports is an odyssey company. 